A long time ago, in a suburb far, far away, there was a little boy named George. He sat in a movie theater, and his little eyes were glued to the screen. And as he sat there watching, all of a sudden the screen lit up, and there was this title slide for the latest Flash Gordon episode. And it was accompanied by this dramatic music. And then words appeared. And these words looked like they were floating in space, getting smaller and smaller as they got farther and farther away. And they provided the backstory for an adventure that he was about to experience in that theater. And what an adventure and what a story it was. This little George, Lucas, was captivated by the tale of a blonde-haired space hero who was part of this great rebellion against an evil emperor. Any of this sounding familiar? It was part of a multi-episode story of a war that was happening out in the stars with spaceships and laser swords and laser guns and robots and even characters with capes. Does this Flash Gordon universe of the 1930s sound at all like the Star Wars universe that George Lucas introduced to the world about 40 years later. If so, maybe this quote uh, kind of pulls it together. If Flash Gordon sounds a bit like the movie that George Lucas made, that's because it was the movie, or I should say it is the movie that George Lucas wanted to make. Did you know that Lucas's original plan was to make a Flash Gordon movie? The reason that he didn't is because the people that held the rights to Flash Gordon, they told George Lucas, no, you can't make that movie. And in 1971, after getting turned down, Lucas decided, if I can't own my favorite franchise, I'm going to create one instead. Lucas looked around and he drew from the resources around him. He drew from those Flash Gordon films. He also drew from science fiction books, from war movies, and from westerns. And he remembered a hero. You remembered a hero that could channel a power called, wait for it, the source. And he also modeled another character after that hero's father, who was a villain named Dark Side. I'm not making this stuff up. Well, several studios turned Lucas down, but Lucas did not give up. And that first episode... In the new Star Wars universe, it obliterated box office records. So much so that within a month of the movie's release, the stock price for the distributor of that movie, 20th Century Fox, it nearly doubled. History is filled with countless case studies of people who refuse to see themselves as victims of circumstance. You can look up the backstories for people like Abraham Lincoln or Condoleezza Rice in politics or consider the tenacity of Thomas Edison and his inventions or Michael Jordan. Did you know Michael Jordan didn't make varsity as a sophomore? There was a coach that went with some other kid named Leroy Smith. Several publishers passed on Harry Potter. Sarah Blakely, maybe some of you know her, she used to sell fax machines just cold-selling fax machines before she built a million-dollar brand named Spanx. There's even a story of members of a band called The Who who told a guitarist named Jimmy Page that his band would go down like a lead balloon. 
which inspired Page to rename his band, anyone know? Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin ended up having more certified album sales than The Who and The Rolling Stones combined. Again, history. It's filled with countless case studies of people who refuse to let themselves be seen as victims of circumstance. A few years ago, I had a chance to meet a guy named Rory Vaden, and he studies successful people for a living. Here's one of the things that he discovered. It's not that successful people think it's easier to do things that most people don't like doing. It's just that they think differently about it. Success isn't a matter of circumstance. It's a matter of choice. For those of you who are just joining us, we're in a teaching series called The Blameless Project 2.0. And last week, we took a look at how humans have an ability to choose our response. This week, what we're going to do is we're going to apply that to circumstance. So let's dive in and let's start with this question. Is blame holding you back? In every case study that I've mentioned, each of those people had a choice. Will I blame my circumstances or will I take responsibility for my actions? Well, one of the thought leaders in this whole area is the late Stephen Covey. He just had a, here, here's just a small sampling of what he observed as he worked with countless people and organizations over the course of his lifetime. He says, whenever you find a problem, you usually find the finger pointing of blame. Society is addicted to playing the victim. If only my boss wasn't such a controlling idiot. If only I hadn't been born so poor. If only I lived in a better place. If only I had inherited hadn't inherited such a temper from my dad. If only my kids weren't so rebellious. If only the other department didn't mess up orders all the time. If only we weren't in such a declining industry. If only our people weren't so lazy and without drive. If only my wife was more understanding. If only, if only, if only. Blaming everyone and everything else for our problems and challenges may be the norm and may provide temporary relief from the pain, but it also chains us to these very problems. Show me someone who's humble enough to accept and take responsibility through his or her circumstances and courageous enough to take whatever initiative is necessary to creatively work his or her way through or around these challenges. And I'm going to show you the supreme power of choice. Stephen Covey is the first person I ever heard really break down that word responsibility. He said it is response, space, ability. I love that. Humans have a unique and remarkable response ability. Like no other mortal creature on earth, we have the ability to choose our response, including when we're tempted to blame our circumstances. If you missed the last two weeks of this series, I want to encourage you to go back and, and catch up. Because one of the things we spend a lot of time talking about is how blame usually backfires. Here's one of the, uh, here's what the books, or sorry, here's what that looks like when it comes to circumstances. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Blaming circumstance reinforces glass ceilings. What's a glass ceiling? A glass ceiling is something invisible that keeps us from moving forward or moving upward. Blaming circumstance, what does it do? It reinforces that glass ceiling, 
meaning it makes it stronger and stronger and even harder to break through because you think you can't. Why? Why? Because all of your energy, it's now focused on blaming this problem instead of brainstorming possibilities. I love this quote by James Clear. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. Blame. It's a missed opportunity to become. To become better at problem solving. To become a better and more skilled person. To become a better bridge builder. To become a better teammate or a better friend or a better parent. Blame. It's also a missed opportunity to help you develop a healthier self-image. To experience what it means to be created in the very image of God. To be recognizing that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you're created in Christ to do good works, which God created in advance for you to do. You know, as a student of our society, I've got a growing concern that we're actually doing harm the way that we try to make people feel better. One of our deepest needs as people is to know that we're capable of doing good work. Eric Erickson, he called this stage of human development industry versus inferiority. Blaming circumstance, it's a vote. It's a vote for an inferior version of yourself. And that is a slippery slope to shame. Could you write that down too? Blaming circumstance is a slippery slope to shame. Shame occurs when we blur that line between what we did and who we are. And once you start down that slippery slope, it can lead you to one of the darkest, most helpless, and most isolating states there is, that state of shame. What if? What if instead of casting a vote for an inferior version of yourself, one that's powerless or one that can't overcome challenges, what if we consistently casted votes for an ever-evolving self that uses our unique response ability to improvise and adapt and overcome. James Clear, he tells a story about this man who used a wheelchair. And someone made this comment. He said, oh, it's got to be so hard for you to be confined to that wheelchair. And the guy says, I'm not going to allow myself to be defined by that victim language. So he responded. He said, I'm not confined to my wheelchair. He said, I'm liberated by it. That man, he was casting a vote, casting a vote for the person that he wanted to be, who found ways to open up new possibilities. I invite you to write this down, and then we're going to open our Bibles together. Because I want to show you how, at least for people of the book here, what we're talking about is more than self-help or self-confidence. So here's what I'd like you to write down, and then we'll open our Bibles. People who blame their circumstances will never discover their capacities. So don't let blame hold you back. Don't let blame hijack your happiness and sense of accomplishment that comes when you can overcome challenges and you can develop new capacities in the process. All right, let's take a look at what's possible when a person applies these principles. All right, if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to open up to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start at chapter 1, verse 3. If you don't have a Bible home, I encourage you to hit pause right now. You can go to um, Bible.com, download a great free Bible app. All right, so here's the backstory. So if this is Star Wars, here's what would be scrolling up the screen. 
In 586 BC, Jerusalem was conquered by the Babylonian Empire, and many of those survivors then were carried off into captivity. Then, in 539 BC, the Babylonian Empire was conquered in turn by the Persians. So, this story picks up in the year 40, or should say the year is now 445 BC, and a descendant of those Jews who had been carried off in exile named Nehemiah, he's serving in the Persian king's court. Well, one day, Nehemiah's brother comes. His brother had just been to Jerusalem. He's there with a couple others. And he brought Nehemiah this report. This is from verse 3. And they, meaning his brother and his companions, said to me, meaning Nehemiah, the remnant there in Jerusalem, in the province, who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem, it's broken down, and all its gates are destroyed by fire. Okay, that absolutely wrecked Nehemiah. Wrecked him. It goes on then in verse 4, it says this. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. All right, one of the things I really appreciate about Nehemiah that's so healthy, he didn't pretend that things weren't as bad as they were. They were bad. They were really bad. Facts are our friends. They really are. But look where Nehemiah's sincere sorrow and praying and fasting took him. Verses 5 through 6. And I said, as he prayed, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. Right. This that we just read and what we're going to continue to read here, this is a template. This is a template that is transferable for prayer. Look at what Nehemiah does. He, he begins by directing his prayer to Yahweh, the God of heaven. He directs his prayer to one who can handle circumstances that's bigger than he is. And this is really interesting. When I researched this passage, one of my sources said the Persians had their own version of, quote, the God of heaven. And so Nehemiah is saying, no, no, no. There's only one God of heaven. And his ear is attentive and his eye is open to those who love him and keep his commandments. All right, so Nehemiah directs his prayers to the God of heaven. And did you see what else that he did? Instead of pointing a blaming finger at God, instead of pointing a blaming finger at the Babylonians or the Persians or anybody else, Nehemiah, he confesses, all right, here's how I've contributed to this. Here's how my people have contributed to this. He goes on with that confession in verse 7. We have acted very corruptly against you. We have not kept your commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded, your servant Moses. All right, so after confessing his contributions, Nehemiah now begins to anchor to God's promises. I told you this is such a great template here. And he shifts the focus now from here's what happened to what can I do about it? What can I do about it? All right, watch how Nehemiah starts with his response ability instead of starting with, why doesn't somebody else do something? Verses 8 through 11. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I'm going to scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them through your outcasts, or though your outcasts are in the outermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I've chosen to make my name dwell there. 
They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah is applying these principles that we've been talking about for the last two weeks. He's accessing higher level thinking. And not only that, he's also trying to recognize how do I access higher level powers more than I have? The blame circumstance mindset says, all right, what can I do? What can I do about the walls way over there in Jerusalem? I'm just a cupbearer way over here in Susa. What if, instead instead of letting our blame response let us off the hook by doing nothing, what if we consider the resources all around us? Well, after praying and reflecting, anchoring to the promises of God, Nehemiah says, all right, all right, I'm a cupbearer here in Susa. What resources do I have access to? Now, this is so important. If you're off multitasking or something, come back in. This is is so key. Before we start painting a picture of Nehemiah that becomes so far removed from anything that we can relate to, maybe this is going to help you relate to him a little bit better. I know it does for me. Let's turn to chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine, I gave it to the king. Now I had been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing that you're not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. All right, here's what I think a lot of us can relate to. What does it say? It says, then I was very much what? I was very much afraid. I was very much afraid. Nehemiah was scared. Can anyone relate to that? Fear can hold us back, can it? Here's where that fear may have come from, from Nehemiah. Archaeologists have discovered Persian art that depicts scenes from the Persian king's courts. And get this, in those art pieces, there are people who are surrounding the king, and they're sometimes portrayed with their hand over their mouth, as if... They don't want to offend the king by breathing on him or saying the wrong thing. So that could be where the fear is coming from. I don't want to get the king mad. There might even be more to the story than that. Nehemiah is about to ask the king for permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Get this. It appears from the Bible record itself that King Artaxerxes, he's the one that shut down the most recent attempt to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. So Nehemiah is about to say, hey, king, that project that you shut down, I think we should restart it, and I'm your guy. All right, here's another reason that maybe he's afraid. Right around that time in history, a revolt broke out in Egypt. It took five years to put that down. And there was trouble in the northern regions as well. So it could have been one of those situations where Nehemiah knows, I'm going to put myself out there, and I know the answer anyway. The answer is going to be, hey, Nehemiah, one, you shouldn't be asking these things. Two, I need you right here, right now. Let me give you one more. Maybe Nehemiah's fear had less to do with the king, and maybe it was more about himself. Maybe it was about his own insecurities. He's thinking, I got a great job right now, and I'm really good at it. How how do I go and do something I've never done before, especially when the risks 
are this high of failure. All right, so maybe it's one of these, maybe it's a combination of all of these things. We don't know for sure. What we do know is Nehemiah was scared. He was scared. I once read about a woman who was on the 80th floor and a fire broke out several floors lower. When the fire alarm went off, she was so paralyzed by fear that she, she wouldn't go down. She wouldn't go down because she was afraid, I'm going to get trapped in that stairwell. Well, one of the firefighters found her. And he tried to lead her to the stairs. And she's like, no, 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 no. And she starts pushing him away. She goes, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared. And the firefighter looks at her. He looks her right in the eye. And he says, that's okay. Let's do it scared. And one step at a time, he took her down saying, it's okay. Do it scared. It's okay. Do it scared. It's okay. Do it scared. Nehemiah was scared, but he made a decision. I'm going to do it scared. Let's pick up with the story. Nehemiah 2, 3. Then I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, it lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now it's important to note here that Nehemiah had earned the respect of the king before he had this hard conversation. What was Nehemiah's job? He was a cupbearer. He had direct access to the king. And the king trusted Nehemiah with his very life. You don't get that position unless you earn trust. You don't rise without earning tremendous respect along the way to a position like that. And we can see from the words that he chooses, Nehemiah understood timing. Nehemiah understood tact. And that is so important. But here's what I believe made the biggest difference of all. Here's another thing that separated Nehemiah from others. Anybody can point out a problem, but Nehemiah, he was prayed up. And God had given him a plan. It was God-breathed, a God-breathed proposal. Chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. Then the king said to me, all right, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, now remember, this is the first time that he prayed. Nehemiah had laid this whole foundation of prayer and fasting and seeking God. It it possibly had been going on for months. And the God of the possible in the fullness of time now opened this door for Nehemiah to have this conversation. Nehemiah took a breath. He said one final, I call him flare prayers, shot up one more flare prayer. And he shared his plan with the king. That prayer piece is a theme that keeps coming up over and over and over again with Nehemiah. It's chapter 4, verse 4. It's chapter 4, verse 9. It's chapter 5, verse 19. Chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. Somewhere along the line, Nehemiah had trained his brain to go to prayer. As you and I learn to do that, our responsibility is no longer limited to our own capacities. When we can go to prayer that consistently, now we're opening ourselves up to the very power of God. Now, do we have a role to play in this? Absolutely. One of my all-time favorite Bible verses comes from Nehemiah. When the king said, yes, and they went and they started rebuilding the walls, it was hard. And one of the things they faced were real threats from people that wanted to make sure that those walls didn't get built at any cost, even if it meant taking lives in the process. So here's what Nehemiah and his team did. We prayed, it says in Nehemiah 4.9, we prayed. What else do they do? 
They prayed and they posted a guard. What might be possible if you did the same? If you prayed and. If you prayed and, as God provided a plan and an opportunity, you took your next step in faith. Here's something I hope everyone takes away from our time together. We're more response-able and resourceful than most people real eyes. You got a response ability that was given you by God himself. We also have access to almost unlimited resources that can be realized as we invite Yahweh, the God of heaven, to align our will with his. There's a lot of songs out there about overcoming. We sing a bunch of them. Today I'm going to challenge you. Take a step towards realizing that that you've been singing about. All right, if you're facing something that's between you and something God desires for you or something that God desires to do through you, I invite you to write this down. Here we go. Here's your invitation. The God of the possible invites us, find a fix. Let's find a fix. Last week, we compared our response ability to a powerful lithium battery that can power a lawnmower or power a leaf blower or power a weed trimmer or power a chainsaw. You can use that same lithium battery as a power source for different applications. We also said, if you're going to get in on that, it's going to be a big front-end investment. But here's the thing, it's worth it. It's worth it. Big front-end investment, but it's worth it. When it comes to overcoming this temptation to blame circumstance and be able to see yourself not as a victim, there are some outstanding resources there. There are some resources you can use to help you build new habits and skills so that you can apply this resource ability or this response ability superpower to the challenges that you face or to God-honoring goals that you want to set. So here's what I'm going to call the master class bundle. I would start with this. I'd even go in this order. Rory Vaden, take the stairs. This one's really good at helping you with the motivation to say, yep, this can be done. This can make a real big difference in my life. This one's classic then. I would go to next to the seven habits, highly effective people, Stephen Covey. This is the principles. There's your motivation. Here's the principles. And then this one, Atomic Habits by James Clear. It is so good on just the practical step-by-step how you could make this happen in your life. Now, before this series is over, one of the things I'm going to commit to do is I'm going to put together an ECC mail where I'm going to put together these little masterclass bundles for blaming circumstance, blaming others, and, and a couple more. So I'll get that out to you, and you can take a step right now to get on that list. Just go to manual.church slash next and sign up for the ECC mail updates. Is it a front-end investment to do this? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes. But do you need to have all these books and read them all before you can start taking steps in that direction? No, no, not at all. You can apply this today. Let me give you a start small example. All right, so one day, this is, I think, back when we were doing the um, the Blameless series several years ago. One day, I needed some cold medicine. So I, I, I decided I'm going to drop by Walgreens on my way home. Now, I don't go to Walgreens to browse. I don't go there to stock up. I go there, get in, get out, get your one or two things. So I walk in and I'm like, oh no, because I'm noticing there's a long line, long line. And I'm like, what's going on with this long line? Well, somebody in the front of that line, they had a coupon or something. It wasn't working out. And so you've got a front, a frustrated customer there at the checkout. 
you got this line of very agitated people. These customers are lined up after her. And then you got this stressed out teenager who's there at the cashier place, this employee who's announcing over the Walgreen PA, Josh to the front, please. Josh to the front. Well, it only took me about a minute to go get my thing. And all the way there, I'm hearing, Josh to the front, please. Josh to the front. Get my thing. I come up to the front. Employee is still there. Josh to the front. Josh to the front. Well, now I get to the front and the line is longer. I get to the front. That customer in the front of the line, she's even more frustrated. The people in the line, they're even more agitated. And that poor teenager is really, really stressed because Josh is not showing up. So I got a choice to make. I can get in that line and I can start blaming everybody. I can blame the teenage employee. I can blame the lady with the coupon. I can blame Josh. I can blame Walgreens. I can blame them all. But guess what? Got this handy little wristband here. It says, blame less. I'm going to use my responsibility superpower. So I thought, what are my options? What are my options? I could go into the line and instead of being frustrated, use the time to catch up on emails. I could walk across the street or drive across the street to Kowalski's and get what I need there. Or I could go to the back and I could ask the pharmacy, hey, can I just do my transaction back there? I decide I'm going to go with that option. So I walk to the back of the store. As I'm walking back, now I'm just smiling. I'm even whistling a little tune. And as all the while, I'm hearing them saying, Josh to the front, please. Josh to the front. I go there. Sure, we can do your transaction. Do my transaction. I'm walking out of the store. I'm hearing, Josh to the front, please. Josh to the front. Well, on my way out, I realize, you know what? Maybe I'll share my little secret hack here with others because it might help them too. Well, one of the things that James Clear reminds us in his book is this. He says, if you want to change directions, find people who are going that same way. I got one last thing that I want to encourage you to write down. This is it. It's even better when we blame less together. It's even better when we blame less together. We did a 1.0 version of this series in January 2020, right before the pandemic. And we had an opportunity to apply these principles in real time. When the church gatherings were shut down, we literally called our leaders together right there at the community center. We spread out so we had all that safe distance and we prayed. We prayed for God's wisdom, his guidance, his protection. And then from that point on, we used our response ability. And we discovered God already had a lot of resources in place. We had a lot of also a lot of potential skills we could develop along the way. So we started putting them to use. We started filming services in the basement of our little church office. And then at Rice Creek Covenant. And then at Scott Reed's workshop. And then before the pandemic was over, I'm seeing Jason in the back nodding. You know, that before the pandemic was over, we had the studio. Well, when we were able along the way to gather outdoors, we realized that God already had us positioned in a location where we had the best outdoor venue in the northeast suburbs. 
It was already there. We also realized there's a whole lot of food trucks. They could use some money. There's no events. Let's invite them to come too. And our outdoor services started out as a necessity. Now it's one of our new traditions. When almost everyone during this pandemic began canceling their contracts with Covenant Pines Camp, we doubled down. We were able to bless the camp because they had a little revenue. We created lifelong memories. And along the way, we figured out how do you do not only a COVID camp, but how do you do a COVID camp in the biggest fall snowstorm that Minnesota has ever had that early in the year? And it was a blast. It was a blast. Fingers got a little cold on the guitar, but it was, it was a blast. Every one of these challenges strengthened our faith that if God is in it, we can figure this out together. Like the time when the coldest weather in 30 years descended on Covenant Pines right when we were heading north for snow camp. It was so cold. They canceled indoor basketball practice at the nearest town. It was so cold that we looked up the temperatures in Antarctica and Alaska. It was warmer there. And it was cold. But you know what? We geared up, we kept moving, and we had a great time. So now, something like this, this year we get up there, the wreck field is a absolute swamp because it had been raining and raining and raining. No problem. We meet that challenge head on. Instead of blaming the weather and canceling the game, our battle of the bog will go down in history as the most epic version of four-way capture the stuff ever. That blame impulse, it can hold you captive in a prison with an unlocked door. Today, we invite you to join those of us who are discovering a better way. If God can use an exiled cupbearer in Susa to rebuild walls in Jerusalem, if Jesus can use a kid with five loaves and two fish to feed more than 5,000 people, what might the Holy Spirit empower you to do in the days and weeks and years ahead if you surrender your life right now to the God of the possible? Let me close with this quote and a prayer, and let's seal our time together with a few songs. Here's the quote. The Lord works from the inside out. The world works from the outside in. The world will take people out of the slums. Christ takes slums out of people, and then they take themselves out of the slums. The world would mold men by changing their environment. Christ changes men who then change their environment. The world would shape human behavior. Christ can change human nature. Let me pray for you and for us. Lord, we are so thankful that you invite us to go far beyond anything that we're capable of or even anything we could ask or imagine. Lord, we pray right now that, that we don't get focused right now on our own goals or focused on self-help, but instead, God, like Nehemiah did, we seek to align our hearts and our minds with you, knowing that your way is better, that your way is good, that your way leaves us home, and with you, all things are possible. We pray this in the mighty name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.